And in his book, Scramble Among the Mountains, written in 1871, this guy tells of this very harrowing story of the ascent and descent of the Matterhorn Mountain. And Wimper was the first man to achieve it. But it's interesting that the book speaks very little of this amazing feat. Rather, what the book speaks of more than anything else is the harrowing story uh, that haunted him in his sleep for decades afterwards. He writes this, Every night, do you understand, I see my comrades of the Matterhorn slipping on their backs, their arms outstretched, one after the other, in perfect order, at equal distances. Cross the guide first, then Haddell, then Hudson, and lastly Douglas. Yes, I shall always see them. See, they died, and they were all tied together, and he managed to chop himself free, and all the rest of it slipped down to their deaths. But he wrote of his survival, and his book was a bestseller of the time, and it was a popular kind of genre, a type of book at the time, survivor stories, they were coined. And survivor stories, they're, they're intriguing because they show what it's like to come so close to death, yet narrowly escape death. And there were loads of survivor stories of that era, thinking later on of the Titanic, for example, the survivors uh, of that uh, disaster, each spelling out the kind of fragility of life. There was Titanic stories, there was Mount Everest survivors, uh, survivor stories as well. Still today, a bit of a factoid. Still more people have died on Mount Everest than have survived. Only just. Even more recently, you get survivor stories of 9-11 as well. They're very popular, aren't they? They're first-hand accounts of what it is to narrowly escape death. Here's one other one, popular TV one. Uh, Jack Bauer, here he is. He's a bit of a survivor story. Every 24 hours, this man has to survive something, doesn't he? And if you're like me, you kind of watch it, and then you run around pretending you're him for a few hours until reality kind of hits uh, as you look in the mirror. We love them, though, don't we? Because we see people that have escaped death and now have a new appreciation of life. And we identify or try to imagine how we might have coped in the particular situation that we're reading of this survivor story about. Are we the survivor or are we the kind of victim? These stories, of course, they're, they're extraordinary in nature, aren't they? They have little application to any of our lives. But In a sense, what we've been looking at in Romans chapter 8 applies to every single one of us. And essentially what it is, it's a survivor story. But it's not hidden clearly here. It's not about mere survival. It's not narrowly escaping. And that is the point. Romans 8 is is kind of in its entirety saying it's, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed survival. Or you might put it another way, it's, it's triumphing. Or as we'll see today, overwhelmingly conquering. Romans 8, it's been amazing for me personally, I'm sure for others as well. And I don't know how you, if you remember how it began. It begins with those, that declaration, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, for all the times that I've ignored God. For all the times that I have rebelled against God, and you too, if you are in Christ, that is, if you put your faith in Him, where I deserve condemnation, where I deserve justice for that, well, the condemnation is placed on another, isn't it? On the Lord Jesus. No condemnation. 
You see, whatever happens in my life as a Christian, I know with utter certainty that God is not condemning me. It can't be. Because he renders himself unjust if he condemns both the Lord Jesus Christ for my sin and me as well. He'd be punishing rebellion twice. So if I, if I suddenly turn out in my life to be very, very ill and suffering and so on, I know that it cannot be condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we experience various struggles in relationships or at work or whatever it may be, we know it's not condemnation if we're in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, it could be uh, loving discipline, but it cannot be condemnation. So the chapter begins with this utter assurance that whatever we know in this life as Christians, it cannot be God condemning us for our sin. But if you like, if that's one bookend, the, the other bookend of this chapter is the one we're going to be looking at today. That is, there is no separation. There's no condemnation, but there's also no separation. And Paul is showing here that the Christian life isn't just narrowly escaping death, mere survival. This is assured. This is complete, certain, eternal survival found in and comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we saw last week as Christians, the certainty we can know in the present is founded in the work of Christ in the past through his death and resurrection. Even though we sit, if you look down at verse 30 in your passage uh, in Romans chapter 8, we sit somewhere on the comma just after the word justified in verse 30. Though we've not been glorified yet, though we've not been fully perfected, Despite that, Paul can write with the utter certainty that God also glorified us. He writes it in the past tense to say, you may not experience it right now, but it's a, it's a done work. We can look back to the completed work of Christ and who's gone on the cross and his resurrection and say, it's done. You will be glorified. Hence why Paul begins our passage today. Look at verse 31 with me if you can. Uh, just for a moment, look at it, it says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, if God has done and will do all things to secure us for glory, and we saw that last week, what can possibly stand in the way of his plans? And, and Paul now begins by showing how God is for us. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but also gave him up for us all. That is, he's saying he gave us Christ to be given up. That He was the sacrifice of atonement that later, earlier in the book, sorry, uh, Paul had described. He then answers his own question, as he does a lot in this passage, by showing that essentially nothing, absolutely nothing can be against us. If God is the giver of all good things. Simply saying, who can possibly? Come on, think in your mind, muster it up. Who can possibly be against us with any effect? If God and his son have and will graciously give us all things, including, verse 30, glory. Eternal glory to come. Who can be against us? Paul goes on, these questions essentially summarise all that's gone before. Look at verse uh, 33 for a moment. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? Who will? Well, no one. 
It's God who judges and God who justifies. He makes uh, those with faith righteous and therefore, who can bring a charge against a righteous one? Well, no one. There's nothing to charge, in a sense. Verse 44 then, who is the one who condemns? Who is it? No one. Why? Because, as he answers this question, verse 34, Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You see, what Paul is saying here is that if you want evidence that your sin has been dealt with, that verse 30 is is an absolute assured guarantee that you will one day be glorified. If you want evidence for that, look to Jesus. Resurrected and glorified. With the scars on his wrists and his ankles, but now seated enthroned. He's defeated death. God's wrath is satisfied. Death is defeated. The victory is won. And therefore he gets to this last big question in verse 35, which we're going to spend most of our time on. He says, well, who shall separate us from the love of God? Who? These are real questions. And this last one is perhaps the most pertinent one, isn't it? He's simply saying, are you safe? Are you really safe in God's love? In the summer, I, um, I take my boys to France, so the family, and uh, we go to the, sometimes to this thing called uh, the Indian Forest. And essentially, it's like a really, really tall trees. And French, obviously, they don't have a health and safety department at all. But uh, they, they stick these ropes really, really high up, and you get, get harnessed on, and you kind of walk around. Uh, and there we are. It's brilliant. I, I love it. The boys love it. I took them up, and uh, Zach being as he is, and some of you know... Uh, <laughs> There's a certain height limit to the various ones, but he stood on my feet uh, for this one, uh, and the instructor didn't notice. He said, oh, I can reach out. I can definitely go on the red level. And they let him on. They never should have done, but there we were. And we got about halfway round, and it had been okay. I mean, we're taller than the whole of this building up up a tree, uh, kind of walking along these ropes and kind of harnessed on. And I went ahead, and uh, as I was, I looked back to see my two boys, just very, very pale-looking, uh, and sort of saying, we can go no further, Danny. And it was very interesting, because you know, the French instructors down the, down the bottom just going, can't get you down, they've got to. That's it, you've got to, you've got to move. So I had to go back, and essentially we stood on this little, tiny little platform, really high up on trees, and I just had to say, you're all right, you're safe. Even if I have to carry on my back, you're safe, you're okay. And Paul is here, he essentially is grabbing hold of us. He's whispering in our ears, you're safe. If you're in Christ, you're safe. There's no condemnation. There's no separation from God's love. You're safe. And Paul isn't denying the obvious. We will all die and maybe we'll even suffer, but our gospel confidence, our our guaranteed eternal survival. It's boiled down into this one last rhetorical question to which all have kind of pointed before. You've got to know the answer to this one. See, without knowing the answer to this last question, verse 35, you'll be paralyzed from the joy of assured life now. So if we're Christians, we will want to know above all else, our first point, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it's simple, really. We could just go home and say, there's no one. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go and have tea and coffee upstairs. 
See, when we're united to Christ by faith, there is nothing or no one, as John puts it, that can snatch us out of his hand. Nothing can come between us. This is not because of our faithfulness, of course, but of course of God's faithfulness. I wonder, do you really believe that? In reality, aren't there not a whole heap of things that we believe at times may just separate us from God's love? I mean, look at the list that Paul puts down. It's quite all-encompassing. All Verse 35, he puts a whole heap of things down. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution. And we don't know much of that, do we, in London? Thank God for that. Or famine, it says. Nakedness, danger or sword. Now, I guess we know many people around the world, who I hope we pray for, who are knowing those things right now as Christians. And Paul is saying is nothing, none of that, none of that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Gets better, look at verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And he's therefore saying, no, not even death. Not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. I've said this before, but my grandfather's funeral was quite a pivotal moment in my childhood. And I, I remember it very, very clearly. Because I heard words of confidence that death was not the end. Uh, that Fred was dead, that was his name, slightly archaic, but there we go. He was absent in the body, but he was, it meant he was fully and gloriously present with his Father in heaven. Christians have been united to Christ, and therefore we belong to him. We've been adopted into his family, we saw back in verse 15. Therefore, essentially that bond is there, this faith union. We, we can't be separated, he's saying here, finally. Is there anything more important that you need to know for tomorrow at work, for life now? How and essentially can you live truly as you've been intended to live, not knowing this? For knowing this means you can face all of those things that Paul has mentioned. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword in the groaning creation that we live in. You can now truly live, he's saying, knowing that none of those things ever can separate you from the love of God. Very famously, Justin Martyr, one of the uh, early uh, church fathers, he, he um, said to his own people as they were led off to being slaughtered, and uh, they, he shouted this at them. He said, they can kill us, but they can't hurt us. You see, that is the confidence that we can have as Christians. And so Paul asked, um, asked the question, responding to the negative, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? But, but when we get to verse 37, he not only shows that we survive, but rather in all of the things, the things mentioned of verse 35 and 36, however hard it feels tomorrow at work, wherever you are, he says, look what he says, we're more than conquerors, more than conquerors. See, it's one thing to know that you're a Christian now, to know that you're saved now, but what happens when it gets really tough? Years down the line, when you're disappointed with how life has worked out, or things are just very difficult. Especially perhaps, you know, as some of us struggle as we get close to death. 
And Paul gives us a rather unusual little phrase here in the original language. It's quite difficult, actually, to translate. Look at verse 37. Let me read it through. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Or, uh, when I did this at college, I remember my lecturer getting very excited. And he was a very, very dull man most of the time. Uh, But he got excited about this one particular word. And he just said, oh, you would believe this. And he got overly animated as an Aussie guy. And he said, this essentially means we are overwhelmingly conquering. It's a, it's a funny word, and it's, it's tends to basically mean it has this continual element to it. And interestingly, what it means is that we're doing this right now. You may just not realise it, but you are, if you are in Christ. See, if you're a Christian and you woke up this morning, you looked at the mirror, took a little bit of a grimace and went, oh, yeah, you know, and, and did your work and made sure you felt okay, even though you may, may, may not have felt like it this morning, This is an objective reality. If you are in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. Of course, we don't do it in our power, and the verse kind of clarifies that. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That is, of course, it's Christ. But what this verse speaks of is utterly counterintuitive, isn't it? Because sometimes it just doesn't look and feel that way, does it? I mean, look at us as a population of people comparing to everyone out there. Does it seem that we're conquering more than a conqueror? Well, you have to think of the context of when Paul wrote this, actually. He wrote this letter to Christians who were, at that time, being burnt alive in the gardens of Nero as a candle. Others were fed to lions. See, Christians have been overwhelmingly conquering in Christ even through those circumstances. But an observer to the scene of those atrocities that happened in the first century particularly, they would have seen seen that we were overwhelmingly conquering. If you read the accounts of Romans at the time, as uh, Christians were being torn apart by lions or burnt alive, they, they would have detailed the graphic kind of barbaric nature of their deaths. But surely they wouldn't have said, oh, and it seems to be that the Christians are overwhelmingly conquering. They don't write that. At best, it seems a very strange way to conquer. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? But as Christians, you think there's something very counterintuitive by the fact that we follow a king who conquered on a cross, being tortured. It didn't look that way, did it? It didn't look like he was... Conquering looked like he was being overwhelmingly defeated. But he conquered sin and death. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? And there are Christians all around the world that are suffering, but they are conquering. It just doesn't look that way. And Paul wants, to, wants us to know that the Christian life is not mere survival. It's not meant to be close. There's nothing of chance here. We don't make it because we grit our teeth in that very British way and kind of bear down with whatever life throws at us. No, we overwhelmingly conquer in all these things because of the saving power of Christ. He's saying you're safe. You're safe. See, if you think that Christian life is just mere survival then you'll miss out on all that God wants us to enjoy in our lives now as believers in his service for his glory. And there's nothing more dangerous than a wounded soldier, is there? In battle. And so in the Christian life, don't be one. 
Rather know that we are today overwhelmingly conquering in him, in Christ. Know that you're safe. I guess what does that look like day to day then? To be more than a conqueror. Well, I guess it's the truth. It's the power to, to be able to face all of those things that Paul has mentioned, but all the struggles that you face in your life as well, whether they're work, loneliness, singleness. And it's knowing in that situation, in those circumstances, however hard they feel, however much they bear down on us, that none of that can separate you from Christ's love. We can face all these things, not becoming disabled through them, but rather overwhelmingly conquering in Christ's power, looking to the security that Christ has brought on the cross, that no one will condemn, that no one will bring a charge against the Christian. He's saying, you're safe. You're safe. This is for me, I guess it will be for some of you as well. Therefore, I ask myself this question, just in kind of application. Why do I therefore mope around sometimes, overwhelmed by the present? Well, I think it's probably because I take my eyes off Christ. I need to know that in him, I am overwhelmingly conquering. So I guess I need to check my attitudes. Maybe you do too. Am I being conquered by my present circumstances? Or am I in Christ more than a conqueror? Now don't get me wrong, we will find things tough, won't we? Life is hard sometimes. Emotionally, physically, we'll all know death and uh, family members. We cannot deny the obvious here. We will worry. We will cry. Things will be hard. We will grieve when we see death. But if a Christian dies, we, we only grieve for a temporary loss. For one day we'll see them in glory. I remember at my grandfather's funeral again, we, uh, there wasn't anyone around concern, concerned whether you know, kind of his salvation hung in the balance. No. My grandma could say, I'll see you soon. And she did. Because even in death, we're overwhelmingly conquering. No one in heaven will be looking wistfully back and sort of to this life. And, because in the end, they haven't have lost anything. That's why Paul can say elsewhere, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great London preacher on this passage, commented it this way. He says, one of the best witnesses as a Christian is to be seen triumphing. This is what other people are looking for. For this is the, uh, what the lost world can't believe, he says. See, when the world sees you, despite your circumstances, work, relationship, whatever it may be, whatever your circumstances, if the world sees you as a more than a conqueror, even through persecution and sadness. Well, look what the good doctor said. He said, the world watches and wants to know the explanation. And the question I have to ask myself is this. What evidence is there in my life? Maybe you ask yourself, what evidence there is there in your life that you are more than a conqueror in Christ's strength? Is there enough evidence for your neighbours, for your friends, to your colleagues to say, I want to know the explanation for that. I wonder. Perhaps they just see troubles overwhelm you, just like them. <coughs> Are you any different in that regard? See, if you're miserable in work or bitter in singleness and angry in suffering, all those responses, they're very natural in some ways, but if they overwhelm us, how different are we at all? Verse 37, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And knowing this, Paul now expands, and we'll finish with that verse 38, 39 much uh, more quickly. Look how he expands on this reality as he says in verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Paul says there at the beginning of that verse, he says, I am convinced, but it's written away, he says, I am convinced and continue to be convinced. This great mind, student Gamaliel, he, he's, he's not just saying, oh, I think it might be. I'm not sure. He's saying, I'm utterly convinced and will always be. In some ways, some people have always written this as a kind of the equal sign at the end of chapters 1 to 8 of Romans, these last couple of verses, simply saying, nothing. Because of all the gospel I've explained and put forward so far, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. But again, it doesn't appear that way, does it? When we get buried and put in the ground, surely... As many of our friends will say, that's the end. You're separated from God's love. Ha ha, I was proved right. Surely death separates us from God and his love. Paul is saying no. Look how Paul uses all these parallels to to cover all the possibilities that our friends and and the watching world might kind of throw at us. Firstly, not even death nor life. That's the first parallel. Spelling out what he's looked at before. Secondly, nor angels nor demons. Angels are God's messengers that speak salvation. But they cannot secure. And they can't even jeopardise our salvation either. Nor can demons. Again, common misconception places, certainly within popular culture, that demons can kind of like, they vie for the souls of the dead. You know, against God. That's ridiculous. Nothing can separate us. Demons cannot Hence why no Christian can ever be demon-possessed, because we are the possession of a jealous God. And where the Spirit dwells, it cannot be a residence for a demon. And so we continue. Paul is convinced that neither the present nor the future, he goes on to now, a third parallel, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. What he's saying there is so important for tomorrow. As you grimace, as you get on the train, or as you sit down and the boss nags you, or whatever it may be. Look at he's saying, our present is secured. You live in the light of that security. But we need to know also that our future is secure. And we recognise as Christians, our, our future is not open. It is not kind of, oh, we're not sure what's going to happen. The story of our lives has already been told in Romans 8, if we're in Christ. The end is already accomplished. Look at verse 30. We sit on the comma being justified and glorified. It's your, your life's told. Paul finishes verse 38 saying, Nor powers, whether heavenly or earthly. What he's meaning by that, I think, contextually, is this no government. Today, I guess you might say, no censoring atheistic communist state, no despotic leaders that we're seeing around at the moment. No genocidal regime like ISIS. Nothing will separate us. That is wonderful news, isn't it? For the many, many, many brothers and sisters who will die today as they stand up to regimes like ISIS. 
Look at verse 39, neither height nor depth. It's a common astrological term of the time, basically saying anything that the universe will ever throw at us will be able to separate us from the love of God. Whether that's a groaning nature, which is spoken of in verse 18 following, or meteors crashing to earth, which was apparently at the time a kind of, we thought they might kind of happen. That's what their expectation was. Paul writes to that culture who were worried about such things. He says, nothing. Nothing that astrological, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Look at the summary. It's brilliant, isn't it? nor anything else in all creation. Just in case you can kind of think of anything whatsoever, nothing. It's a catch-all phrase. All dimensions are covered. The list is exhaustive. It's utterly complete. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul has been convinced and continues to be convinced that nothing. But there is a kind of clause there at the end there, isn't it? Verse Uh, 39, that is, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Seems to be pointing to the fact that faith union again of if we're in Christ, the assurance is from Christ for those with Christ in their hearts by his spirit as we've seen throughout the whole chapter. Now for the Christians that Paul originally wrote to, their families would have, they're going to be facing awful things under Nero's persecution in years to come. This would have been great assurance for them. Of course, none of those original recipients are alive today, but they and us are no less secure. For example, when my grandchildren are reading Romans 8, if they are in Christ, they're as safe as me and as safe as those original readers. Like the Christians in Rome, like my grandfather and grandmother, like me when I fall asleep in Christ, amazingly we will all be overwhelmingly conquering from the grave. Why? Because we are saved by the one who did the same. My friends, Christian life is not mere survival. It is not uncertain. It is not speculative. The objective reality is that If you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are and always will be overwhelmingly conquering in Christ. Let's pray as we close. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that... These truths speak very directly to each of us that we are more than conquerors. And Lord Jesus, some of us may not have felt like that this morning, but we know that reality now. And help us therefore to trust your word more than we trust perhaps our feelings. So that days will not go by when we cannot say with confidence that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Help us to know this. Help us to live this week knowing this and the weeks and years and to come. And we pray this for your glory and your pleasure alone. Amen.